This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about rhubarb. I am so excited to talk about rhubarb. Yes, me too. Oh, rhubarb is one of my very favorite things. Oh, is it? Yeah. I have to make a note, a note of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see here in our notes that you make a really good rhubarb pie. A killer one, Ooh. you might say. <laughs> but not actually because the leaves are toxic. <laughs> <laughs> don't eat don't eat the leaves. No, no. My biggest problem making this pie is that it's too good. Oh. And I never get any. Oh. JK, JK. Kind of JK. <laughs> um, <laughs> my actual biggest problem is that um, a lot of times I'll go to the store, so excited to get my rhubarb for my rhubarb pie. And then I don't have any rhubarb. Fresh or frozen. And then I have to oh. make something else. Yeah, yeah. It is a very seasonal thing. There's some early spring. There's some middle summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than that, and sometimes it's sad, and sad rhubarb is so sad. You don't want sad It's kind rhubarb. of floppity, and I'm like, oh, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was randomly today thinking about how um, – Pie is often used for revenge in our media. Oh, yeah. Like a pie in the face, poison pie, uh-huh. pie with your loved ones baked into it and then yeah. fed to you. Uh-huh. All the time. Yeah. I <laughs> I blame Shakespeare. <laughs> As you should. Always, always, always. Um, one of my BFFs, she loves rhubarb, and I owe her very much for introducing me to it because I didn't really know about it. Yeah, well, it's not really a Southern thing. Um, uh, I, I grew up with it because my uh, grandmother, my my uh, mom's side of the family, grew some in her garden. And so, yeah, so we had this Aww. big honkin' rhubarb plant. Like, it was, like, two or three feet tall. Oh, whoa! And, yeah, so all summer she would um, she would go out and uh, for for a side dish, I think, it would, I think it counted as a salad. 
for, <laughs> uh, mm. for, for, for dinner. Um, she, she would get some rhubarb and stew it down with so much sugar and so much red food coloring. Oh, and, my gosh. Oh, so delicious. I love it. Yes. Love it. <laughs> also realized that um, when I was coming up with my puns for the title for this episode, a lot of good uh, horror movies slash TV show puns. Ooh, yes. oh, I look forward to reading them. <laughs> yes, as you should. <laughs> but this brings us to our question. Rhubarb. What is it? Well, a rhubarb is a flowering plant in the buckwheat family um, that looks like a sort of watermelon-colored celery and tastes like the sourest apple-orange combination you could possibly imagine. Very sour. Very tart. Mm-hmm. Hoof. Um, botanical classification, room hybridium, um, meaning it's a hybrid of at least a couple species within the room genus. It's technically a vegetable, um, distantly related to beets and shard. And, uh, yeah, the plant grows multiple stalks, each to hold up a single broad triangular green. Green leaf. The stalks start thin and tender, but can really thicken and stiffen if you let them go. And they range in color from like silvery ruby red to neon pinkish, often with a little bit of green striped or faded in. The colors indicate the plant's genetic spread, not its ripeness. It doesn't like turn red or green when it's ripe. That's just the color that it is. And you harvest just the stalks. Um, you may have seen them in the grocery store, like laid out in a bin, ranging from maybe a half an inch across to about two inches or so, maybe a foot or two long. For our metric friends, that's about one to five centimeters across and a third to two-thirds of a meter. And these stalks are technically petioles, um, which are stem-like bits that connect leaves to the main body of a plant. They're just wildly over-exaggerated petioles. Over-exaggerated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you do not harvest the leaves, as Annie said earlier, because they are a bit toxic. They contain a few compounds that you just generally don't want to eat too much of, um, which in combination especially seems to be bad. Um, there's some laxative compounds throughout the plant that also contribute to its color. Um, and, and the leaves, though, also contain a concentration of oxalic acid, which uh, binds to, to calcium in the blood, thus making calcium unavailable for your body to use bad times. You'd have to eat something close to like eight kilos or about 17 pounds in order to really <laughs> deadly level poison yourself. Um, but even a few leaves can cause nausea and other digestive troubles. I remember the first time I bought rhubarb for my rhubarb pie. <laughs> I never purchased it before. Mm-hmm. And I was at my local Publix and I saw it. Wow, so pretty. I'd never even seen it before. And um, it came with a note that said, Don't. Don't do this. Do not. If there is <laughs> any leaf material, throw it away. Exactly. And I was like, what am I dealing with here? <laughs> Nature. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Terrifying. It is. Um, uh, fun fun point. A lesser concentration of the aforementioned oxalic acid um, in rhubarb stems is part of what gives them their tanginess. Huh. Nature. Living, yeah. We humans like living on the edge. We do. Mm-hmm. We do. We're like, ooh, this is almost poison. But mm-hmm. not quite. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, the stalks. They're fibrous. Uh, again, kind of similar to celery, but uh, but a little bit more dense. And that red-pink color tends to be concentrated in the in the thin skin of the stalks. They're uh, usually treated like a fruit, um, though too tart to eat raw. For most people, I don't know what you get up to. Um, They tend to be uh, sliced and cooked down with plenty of sugar, often as all or part of a pie filling. That coloration will tinge anything that they're added to pink and can definitely stain your fingers in towels. Oh, I've done that a lot. Uh Um, 
And yeah, the, the result will be a pinkish, slightly stringy dish that's astringent, that pucker, um, sweet and sour, fruity, a little bit floral, and a little bit uh, green or grassy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is a plant that likes the weather to stay a little bit chilly, even in the summer, and it will come back year after year. Good for you, rhubarb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but before you go eating something that looks like or even maybe called rhubarb, watch out. Some plants look similar or even share the name but are not oh, culinary no. rhubarb. So, I, you know, I don't know. Like, it's a minefield cons- out there. <laughs> consult, consult your local uh, plant nursery. I'm just trying to eat my rhubarb pie, <laughs> and I got to look out for these leaves, and now I got to look out for some fake rhubarb. <laughs> when, when in doubt, consult an expert. Okay. A lot of warnings right off yeah. the top in this one. <laughs> yeah. Rhubarb. Paint the danger plant. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> uh, well, what about the nutrition, though? Uh, rhubarb alone has no fat to speak of, a little bit of protein, a whole bunch of fiber, good smattering of vitamins and minerals, um, especially C and calcium. Um, most recipes for rhubarb do add a lot of sugar, though, which, of course, changes things just mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, it can indeed have a um, cathartic and laxative effect and has been used medicinally for millennia for that. Though it's stronger in those species that we uh, cross-pollinated to create this milder, more tender, uh, less tangy hybrid or hybrids that we eat today. Extracts of rhubarb are sold for those effects too. And there are all sorts of researches being done for other extracts of rhubarb, including for helping control blood sugar levels, um, protecting against long-term effects of Alzheimer's, um, and as antivirals, perhaps especially in uh, herpes treatment. So a lot going on. A lot going on there. Okay. Love it. Well, numbers are kind of hard to come by, but I can say it is huge in Alaska, both in popularity and in height because it sometimes grows up to five feet tall. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Yeah. Towards the beginning of the 20th century, Alaska was home to Henry Clark, perhaps better known as the Rhubarb King. Ah. Rhubarb royalty. I know. I like that. <laughs> if I ever get my kale scepter, then I'm moving on to Alaska. <laughs> Got to get my rhubarb crown. I don't know if that exists, but it should. It should. It should. <laughs> in some places, it's so popular in pies, it's known as the pie plant. I believe that's particularly northern United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it is usually used in desserts, some cuisines use it alongside meat in a potato gratin with other vegetables in lip balms, fragrances. Oh, sure. All kinds of things like that. And it was once the thing. I had no idea about this, and it's so exciting. It's so cool. Yeah. Uh, But it fell out of favor until fairly recently. And we'll get into that after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. 
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Rhubarb has a long and storied history. Mm-hmm. It most likely originated in Asia. Rhubarb roots were cultivated going back as far as 2700 BCE. Ooh. The ancient Chinese recommended the root medicinally for aiding in digestion, like you said, Lauren. Um, it was used as a laxative. They called it the Great Yellow. Records show ancient Romans, Greeks, and Arabs were familiar with rhubarb. And there's an ancient Persian myth um, that says rhubarb seeds gave birth to the human race. Oh, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Historians believe the Mongolians used rhubarb, perhaps especially the Tartar tribes of Gobi. For hundreds of years at least, wild rhubarb has grown along the Volga River, possibly introduced there by Eurasians like the Huns. The name rhubarb is the combination of two Greek words— Ra, for the Volga River, or possibly shorthand for from the east, and Barbarum, the base of barbarian, meaning foreign babel, which was used for any non-Greek language at the time. Yeah, and I sort of love that. It's it's like, it's two words, meaning like, ah, stuff over there. It's <laughs> yeah. from over there. It's, it's that way. Yeah. It's not from here. It's not from here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Marco Polo found rhubarb when he journeyed to China in 1271 CE. Uh, He wrote that it grew there in great abundance in the northwestern mountains. Columbus wrote about his discovery of rhubarb in a letter to Spanish monarchs upon his return from his journey to the New World. But actually, it wasn't rhubarb because he wasn't in Asia as he believed. And he'd heard that there was all this rhubarb in Asia, so he expected (laughs) to find it. It was all a lie. A misunderstanding, perhaps. Well, mm, that guy. (laughs) That guy. (laughs) In the early 15th century, dried rhubarb was a luxury good of the Silk Road alongside porcelain and silk Mm -hmm. rhubarb. The best quality rhubarb went for more than saffron or cinnamon. Wow. Which... As you spice nerds know. That, that's, that's quite pricey. Quite pricey. 
From the 1600s to the 1800s, the Romanov Empire monopolized rhubarb growth. They controlled the price, and they made a lot of money doing so. At one point, it was worth more than its weight in gold. The Pope received a (laughs) gift of rhubarb seeds in a gold case with a note recommending he grow it in the Vatican's gardens. It was was a big deal. It was. A 1770 report found that if the UK could grow their own rhubarb, they could save 1 million pounds, equivalent of about 30 million pounds today. Ooh. Yeah. Pharmacists pushed for locals to try their hand at growing their own rhubarb. Seeds and roots were brought to Western Europe in the 17th century. France figured out that the stalks made a lovely sauce. Yeah, perhaps up until now it had been mostly medicinal? Yeah. Like half and half, maybe? Uh. Yeah. I I would say it was mostly medicinal. Um, And there's a fun reason for why it shifted (laughs) a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going, Um, keep going. Sorry. (laughs) No worries. The British were a bit more hesitant to eat the stuff, but the scientists were interested in the medicinal properties, which meant that in 1770, when Benjamin Franklin shipped some rhubarb from London to his friend in the colonies, John Bartram, it debuted in North America as medicinal, not a food thing. Mm. Um, Important to note, this was the case pretty much everywhere, in part because of the extreme tartness of the plant. The first recorded instance of people eating it didn't occur until the 17th century. Ah, And it wasn't until the introduction of sugar and then affordable sugar Mm. that eating it became more common. If you're wondering, though, why pharmacists would encourage people to grow rhubarb, one thing I read said that at one time rhubarb was so prized for treating the plague and liver, lung, and digestive ailments, it was worth the same price as opium. After a bout of dysentery struck down a garrison of soldiers in 1746, Rhubarb was recommended for future prevention. Yes. Huh. Yeah. It was also used as a dye for cleaning pots and an insecticide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it had a lot of uses. Yeah. It's, I, I think people might still use extracts of those for those things today. Yes, I yeah. think so. Mm-hmm. By 1809, Thomas Jefferson's plantation at Monticello was growing a type of rhubarb that was apparently used for its leaves. What? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he had actual rhubarb. I He might have been mm. confused. Um, but and, and also as a medicine, so I'm not sure. Interesting. He wrote a note, like or someone involved in this wrote a note, I think it was Jefferson, that was like, these are as delightful as spinach. And I'm like, I don't think you were eating rhubarb leaves, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you had a very specific kind. <laughs> oh, now I... Uh. Mysteries of history. Exactly. I want to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> but I do have another fun <laughs> mystery history tidbit. Okay. Because if you're wondering, how was that Russian rhubarb monopoly broken? Oh, how? Poison! Poison? Yes. <laughs> or probably poison. <laughs> or probably partly poison. <laughs> It's quite the tale, and let me tell it. Oh, yeah. During this period, Scottish physician James Amounsey was recruited first as a doctor for the Russian Naval Hospital, then served in the Russian Army, then set up his own private practice in Moscow before Empress Elizabeth named him first royal physician. Unfortunately, Elizabeth died of illness in 1761. When Peter III took her place, he appointed Mounsey to the highest medical post available. Six months later... Peter III died. Oh. Historians suspect he was poisoned with arsenic and strangled. Oh, that's very thorough. Yeah, it's very thorough. And the likely culprit, his wife, Catherine II, who became empress after his death. 
and her lover. Ah. Yes. And this was not good news for Mounzi. Upon the death of an emperor, those closest to him were frequently exiled to Siberia or executed. Oh. <laughs> not good. Mounzi was able to convince Catherine to allow him to retire early due to, quote, ill health. And on his way out to Scotland, he smuggled with him rhubarb seeds. Whoa! Yes. And that was very illegal at the time to preserve the Russian monopoly. He was awarded the gold medal from London's Royal Society of Arts in 1770 for bringing rhubarb to Britain. Afraid that the Russians would find him and extract revenge, Mounsey slept with a loaded gun next to his bed and decreed every room must have two doors. Every room he, he, <laughs> he in his in. place he's yeah. living in. Some rumors even suggested he had an underground escape passage built. Wow. Like people were whispering about this guy who stole, who stole the rhubarb. rhubarb seeds from Russia and how he had a secret escape passage in case they came to get him. That's wild. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Hey, respect to that dude. I know. he's He barely avoids in his mind exile and execution and then steals some rhubarb seeds on the way out. Oh. Whoa, dude. <laughs> Whoa. In 1815, physician James Gregory debuted Gregory's Mixture, which was a laxative with the main ingredient of rhubarb. And side note, this dude was famously argumentative. Yeah? During a debate with a fellow academic, Gregory knocked him down with a stick he was charged 100 pounds for assault, and that was pretty hefty for the time. And he said he would pay double if he could repeat the assault. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Oh. Some historians have dubbed rhubarb as the all-brand of the Age of Enlightenment. Ah, mm-hmm. All right. The British continued experimenting with rhubarb, and in the 19th century, many farms sported acres of it. These experiments also resulted in varieties that were better tasting and easier to cook with, meaning that Brits were finally willing to eat some rhubarb. And this brings us to a new, a new time in rhubarb's life. Ah, a new yes. era. The year? 1837. The occasion? The crowning of Queen Victoria. Ah. The rhubarb? <gasps> new and startling. Fun. <laughs> Intriguing. <laughs> it was the beginning of a love affair between rhubarb and the Victorians. This new rhubarb wasn't finicky, but easy to grow and reliably tender and sweet. It was love at first taste. And they put that fruit in everything. <laughs> Jams, jellies, custard pies. Fools. I always see fools and I'm like, what? But it was a thing. Oh, yeah. Fools and puddings alongside meats and cheeses and sauces and stuffings. The love of rhubarb led to the creation of all this romanticism around it. People believed the sweetest rhubarb was raised in darkness under controlled conditions. <laughs> rhubarb was harvested in the dead of night by torchlight. This was called forcing or forced rhubarb. And this was an accidental discovery, and it is still done to this day. This is real. This isn't just romanticism. This no. Is, okay. Like, this isn't just some weird goth stuff. Like, yeah, okay, cool. I think, I mean, it's both. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's that and real. Oh. With buckets. Um, buckets are placed over rhubarb, and the plant is like trying to reach sunlight that it never will, <laughs> which I feel is there as a metaphor in there. Oh, yeah. Hoof. Yes. Hoof. I. Side note, I think Toy Story 4 jumped on our spork yeah? metaphor for humanity <gasps> thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> Existentialism. <laughs> we were there first, but then that spork website was there before us. So well, sure. It's the circle of spork life. 
But anyway, <laughs> I've read accounts that you can hear the rhubarb cells crackle as they grow. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard that in um in they, they have like like darkened like warehouses essentially like like grow mm-hmm. grow houses that they grow it in and supposedly like during like the 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 height of it really doing the thing. Yeah, you can hear it just ooh as it goes. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was somebody I, uh, I'm pretty sure accidentally left a bucket on one. Yeah, and then they're like, "Oh, like, oh, hey!" <laughs> and then here you go. To this day, we still do it. Um, and this was also the time when the price of rhubarb dropped substantially. The rhubarb triangle, which is located <laughs> in West Yorkshire, once produced 90 percent of the world's sweet forced rhubarb supply. And this is a nine-square-mile area with the towns of Rothwell or Leeds, Wakefield, and Morley as the points. I've actually seen some contention about these points. Oh. But I think in okay. general. Okay, it's that area-ish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, there was a train, and it was called the rhubarb, <laughs> designated for delivering rhubarb every day from this area to, ki- to King's Cross in London. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Rhubarb and custard became a staple for the working class alongside fish and chips, like you might just say. Oh, rhubarb and, rhubarb and custard. Yeah, yeah. I definitely had some rhubarb and custard while I was in London. Did you really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was at, like, a relatively schmancy place, but it was, you know, it was one of those, like, tongue-in-cheek, like, wink-wink sort of desserts, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good. Uh, it was like a creme brulee with, like, a with like a, a, a rhubarb, like, compote layer. Oh. Something that sounds like that. delicious. It was it didn't suck. <laughs> it was quite didn't nice. suck. <laughs> awesome. Rhubarb first appeared in American seed catalogs in 1839. And in 1878, rhubarb, or pie plant, um, as it was called, was mentioned in Jenny June's American Cookery Book with the note, This is one of the greatest of spring luxuries, though the quantity of sugar required to be used with it renders it rather expensive. Sugar may be put in as long as your conscience will let you, and a handful afterwards. As long as your conscience will let you. (laughs) Just pour it in there. (laughs) (laughs) Then, uh, during World War I back in the UK, the British government recommended that its citizens grow rhubarb in their home gardens and eat the whole plant. Oh, no. Leaves included. Uh, This caused a lot of illness and at least one death. Oh, dear. Um, In 1947, the U.S. Customs Court in New York ruled rhubarb to be classified as a fruit, for tax purposes, because it's used as a fruit, and the taxes on importing fruits were lower than for vegetables. Huh. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of my favorite quote from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy universe. <laughs> uh-huh. Not that book, but it's when I don't even remember who they were talking about, but he said, he's been dead for years. Tax reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just associate rhubarb as a fruit. Um, let's talk baseball. Baseball? Yes. According to a 1956 Sports Illustrated article, the use of rhubarb to refer to a dust-up— like a, like a fight, yeah. Yes. Yeah, an old-timey fight, a dust-up, as they <laughs> were called, came to us from a very intense baseball-based argument in the 1930s between a Dodgers fan, which was—Dodgers were then out of Brooklyn, and a Giants fan, then out of New York. Ooh. Oh, it, yeah. Oh, gosh. Very, very intense indeed. Oh, yeah, as they tended to be. And, yeah, the Dodgers fan shot the Giants fan. Oh, no. Yeah. Here's a quote. 
A bartender described the incident to baseball writer Tom Meany as a rhubarb, though no one is quite sure why. <laughs> Meany repeated the word to baseball raconteur Jerry Schumacher, and broadcaster Red Barber picked it up after hearing both Meany and Schumacher use it. Barber later utilized the word frequently on his radio broadcast of Brooklyn Dodger baseball games. He had an immense listening audience, and the word soon passed into the language. I've never heard of this, but it's delightful. I have heard somebody use it. Yeah? I've seen it used in this sense. I had no idea. Um, <laughs> it's just some bartender like, I don't know. Yeah. It's a rhubarb. Oh, for, for sure. The next time that, that I see a stiff argument occurring at a local bar, I'm going to be like, that is quite a rhubarb. <laughs> Got to use the transatlantic and everything. You do. It's important. Apparently, British background actors murmur rhubarb to make it look like they're having an actual oh, conversation. Uh-huh. And we were talking about this recently. Don't we say peas and carrots? Peas and carrots peas is and the one carrots. that I've heard. Yeah, I've, I've, heard, I've, I've heard a couple different ones. That's the one that always sticks in my head. It's funny because researching carrots right now oh. behind the curtain. Hey, um, thanks to Bon Appetit for the history around rhubarb <laughs> and baseball. Very helpful. Oh yeah. For a century, rhubarb rode on the high of Queen Victoria's coronation, <laughs> but it all came crashing down after the World Wars. Instead of being seen as hip and sweet, it was unreliable and old-fashioned. Uh, I saw in many places it described as something your grandmother would eat. Hey! Hey! <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Recipes for rhubarb pie were viewed as interesting historical footnotes. Oh. I know, right? Yeah. But things are looking up again yeah, for rhubarb. I think so. It's moving out of that, perhaps, shadow. West Yorkshire forced rhubarb was given the protected designation of origin status in the early 21st century. Oh, wow. That's lovely. Right? Oh, man. It makes me wonder about the rhubarb I've had. I, hmm. Next time, when I'm getting ready to make my pie, I'm going to pay attention to yeah. where it comes from. Ooh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Of the two supermarket chains around Atlanta, the two main ones, uh, Kroger and Publix, I I feel like my Kroger specifically frequently has fresh rhubarb that nobody ever seems to buy other than me. Um, <laughs> and uh, And I've seen Publix more frequently carry frozen rhubarb. So, I don't know. I... I... For a while, I could count on it pretty regularly at Publix, and then I couldn't, and then I went to Whole Foods, and they didn't have it. I was kind of like, whoa. Huh. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it at Whole Foods. I've seen it once. Oh, yeah? But I wasn't looking for it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Of course. You were like, cool. Hey, <laughs> it's very brightly colored. <laughs> it is easy to spot. Sometimes I see chard and get excited because yeah. I think it's rhubarb, but it's not. That happens to me. All the time. Even if I'm not planning on getting rhubarb, sure. I like keeping tabs yeah, on. Like, exactly. Oh. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, cool. I see you. I, I see could, you. I could buy that maybe yeah. Yeah. later date. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> this is Atlanta-specific grocery chain <laughs> rhubarb woes aside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, and or you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, for anybody in Atlanta looking for rhubarb. But this about brings us to the end of our rhubarb episode, but we do have some more for you. We do, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. 
Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with That'd be if it ever reached the sunlight, but it won't. It won't. <laughs> it's so dark. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole wrote, I am writing to you on my first ever solo trip. I am an early 20-something recently married gal who just quit her first big kid job at a small company that I have been with since before I graduated college. I quit that job and accepted a new position at a very different company. I decided to use the week between quitting the old job and starting a new one to go on a short road trip to reset so I don't bring any negativity from my last job into the new one. I chose Asheville as my destination. Uh-huh. After hearing your fantastic miniseries on Asheville, thank oh, you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I knew it was somewhere I had to visit and it would be perfect for this little trip. It has been such an incredible experience so far. I am also traveling completely alone for the first time. Uh-huh. My husband and I both agreed I needed to have this experience solo. But that means eating, drinking, hiking, and otherwise exploring alone. A year ago, I would never even have thought of going out alone. But hearing about your experiences with solo travel, it gave me the confidence to just go for it. And I am loving it so far. My first stop in Asheville was a bookstore where I picked up one of the blind date books, the cover with the craft paper and just write a few words about the book on the front so you don't (laughs) judge it by its cover. I love that, by the way. I took my date to Hemingway's Cuba rooftop bar where I tried my first authentic daiquiri and read my blind date book with a beautiful view of the Blue Ridge in the background. I also got a chance to hit one of the breweries, best sour beers I've ever had, and Tupelo Honey. 
best biscuits and grits ever that evening. So far, all the food and drinks I have tried have been incredible, and there are so many incredible options for a vegetarian like me. I love food, but am usually limited in my choices when going out to eat. Not so in Nashville. Honestly, it is overwhelming, but in a good way. It'll be so fun getting to try all the vegetarian twists on those Southern classics. Oh, yay. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a good place. It is. There's lots of lots of wonderful food and drink options and it's just stuff to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so congrats to you and um yeah, that sounds like you're having an amazing time. It does. I hope I hope that the that that as as we are reading this that the rest of your trip was equally lovely. Yes. And that your new job is treating you well. Mhm. Mhm. Brooke wrote I was listening to the watermelon episode while driving to a magic conference, magicians, not the collectible card game for clarification, and thought of the late, great Ricky Jay. Oh, I can't believe I forgot. Okay, yes. As a magician and actor, Jay was known for his ability to throw a playing card into the rind of a watermelon. He would first demonstrate his ability to throw cards with precision by piercing the inner part of a cut watermelon before asking, but can he penetrate the even thicker pachydermatous outer melon layer? He would then throw card after card, saying, this scares the melon, this wounds the melon, until finally one pierces the rind. This is only one small part of Ricky Jay's amazing show, but a hilarious and unique one. I have seen that bit. I love it so much. Stage magic is one of my very favorite things. I get so <laughs> nerdy about it. And um, and yes, uh, Ricky Jay's patter and performances were beautiful sights to behold. That's yeah. That sounds pretty awesome. I, I had not heard of it. So oh yeah, yeah. I I used to. Gosh, it, it used to be on TV when I was growing what? up. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere. Um, I, I I bet that it is on the internet. I would wager that that is true. <laughs> Many things are. Many things are these days. <laughs> oh gosh, we're on the internet right now. That's right. And you can. Find us there. Oh, you can. Yes. You can. <laughs> well, first, thanks to both of them for writing. If you would like to write to us, yes, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.